G'day and welcome to Formula Bums. My name is Jacko and this week me and the boys are reviewing the Bahrain Grand Prix. I am joined by on my left an empty seat because Riso's still driving here but we're running short on time and in the other seat is my beautiful friend Andy. How are you mate? Been better. It's been a rough week for you. It hasn't really it? has. We won't get into it though. Very personal stuff. Actually not that personal but we'll leave My house is just full of mold. That's, that's basically it. And not, not from his cleaning habits. It's mainly just from the, the severe weather we've been having. But on to more exciting things straight away. We just watched the race last night. We've just rewatched it again. How good was it to have racing back? It was nice to see the cars back. Let's be real. The cars were sick on the track. It was an interesting race. It's given us plenty to talk about. So we're going to assume that everybody has watched the race. And if you haven't, we're not going to give a lap-by-lap analysis. We're going to kind of go through the general gist of the race. And then we're just going to talk about the things we saw. We've got a couple of positives. We've got a few negatives. It was very exciting. I had a great time. I had a great time. And if for people who are listening who haven't seen the race, you just need to watch the first 20 laps and the last 10. As with most Grand Prix, there was a portion in the middle where everybody kind of settled down and waited for the end to come. But as part of GP racing, Formula One's always had segments of their 70 or 50 or so laps or whatever crazy numbers they're doing where they just settle in and the race strategy plays out. It's a big part of the sport. Yes, it is boring viewing. However, the strategy, the plans, the styles they're running of lap paces, what they're attempting to do with the car, position them and their pit strategies, that's where that all happens. You just don't see much of it. No, especially with the production these days. Let's start with the production because I think it's left me a little bit annoyed. It's definitely rubbed me the wrong way in some certain areas. I think you know how I feel about the F1 production. It's not well. You are a professional producer, so this is a very, very important part of your life. And you I take do, it personally sometimes when yes. they screw up. I was going to say you struggle. You struggle to take the work hat off sometimes when you're watching it. But I don't think any of it's unjustified. I'm going to start with my biggest problem, Crofty, my man. You had a shocker, mate. You had a shocker. And the point I want to bring up first is when the Red Bulls were having their issues. I picked up in his tone that he was genuinely excited to watch those cars not do well. Only because it pushed his favourite driver into third. And that is the second part of the issue we have with the production is that all of them seem to favour Lewis and Mercedes or British drivers performing well. Lewis gets the most because he is the best. And this is not a dig at Lewis. Lewis is... As we've always said, an incredible human being and one of the best race drivers ever. It does hamper his presentation, though, when he's constantly given... He's put on a pedestal, it seems, and it shows in the post-race interviews, which we won't go into until the end, but you listen to how they talk to others, and then they come to Hamilton, and they say, still we rise, Sir Lewis Hamilton, yak, yak, yak. It just felt like it missed the mark. Credit to Lewis. And I know we're starting at the end of the race. We'll get into what actually happened, but this was our big gripe and we want to clear our chest so we can look at the rest of the production in a positive light. Lewis, to his credit, came forward very, very humble. He said hi to the fans as usual, so he's his normal self. It's glad to see him back as relatively happy Lewis. I'm happy to see Lewis back, to be honest. I was worried throughout the offseason he may retire, but I do... I know I rip on Lewis, but I do generally enjoy Lewis as a person, as a driver. And the first thing he did was thank the fans, which I think is great. It, it is really nice to see. And not only thank the people, the fans who are close, who've paid for the big tickets. He looked up into the grandstands to all the people who've paid for a day pass. People like us, the general enjoyers, the general public. And he always mentions them. Yes, sometimes it can seem a little bit like fan service, but it is lovely to see. It's someone trying to connect with the community. I always feel hashtag blessed after he speaks to me. (laughs) (laughs) Lewis said, 
hey, look, our car wasn't where we wanted it to be. It's been a really rough weekend. We were just where we needed to be to pick up the points. And that's going to be our segue into what happened in this race. Mercedes, they weren't sandbagging. They weren't. They they shocked us by telling the truth for once. They are the team who cried wolf, but this is also ruined. I don't know if ruins the right word, but now next year when they say they're struggling, We've got no idea. There is no way we can guess at whether they're struggling or not anymore because it was a very convenient joke to say that, oh, Mercedes is struggling. They're going to come out and absolutely blitz it. But they didn't. They didn't, no. And they're probably not going to blitz it until they're back in Europe. Yeah, and we will get into the talk about upgrades and what that means, but we'll. I want to talk more about the race first. So let's save that one for later. Yep. Because you have a lot to add on upgrades and nature of tracks. And I think... I need to give you the floor and just let you speak about that because it's your area of expertise. But let's talk about the race. Let's first. talk about the race. So we're assuming people are familiar with the grid, but a basic rundown is you had Charles on pole, Max on second, Watts on third. Watts. <laughs> <laughs> that is a callback. Um, I think Perez was third, Science fourth. No, Science third, Perez fourth. Perez fourth. Then it was. Am I at- making stuff up again? We probably should have got the grid out. Ah, it's fine. I'm, I know I'm famous for making stuff up, but I do need to call you out on something that you made me feel last week. So I need you to wipe that grin off of your face and sit there and cop what's coming to you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Nico Hulkenberg did fill in for Lance Stroll. My I was, bad. I was right. However, what? Jack, did you read your description last week of the episode? People have suggested I maybe go back and proofread what I wrote in the description for last week. I may have made an omission. You wrote, Jack forgets exists. You didn't even remember Williams existed when you were trying to write that you forget Williams exists. It's not my finest moment. It's not. So while you try and call me out, I'm going to br- throw it straight back at you. I'm going to be honest. I'm tired of apologizing for my mistakes about Williams. That's fair. So here's the thing. I'm just going to pretend like I did that on purpose <laughs> and move on. That's fair. Because I'm a man. No, I did make a mistake. Um, <laughs> I definitely should have gone back and read that because, it one, it makes no sense. Two, it's hilarious that I... In our discussion of me saying I'm doing my best not to forget about them, I do forget to write their name down. So it's not ideal. I just love that I seen it after you uploaded the episode and I just sent it straight to you. I was like, mate, you forgot again. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good. We will talk about Williams, but they weren't anywhere this race. So we'll talk about them later because they did poorly. Watch us forget to talk about them now. (laughs) I'm nervous. Because you think you're going to forget about Williams? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I am genuinely nervous. I'm not going to make it through every every team this week. However, start of the race, the grid kind of did what the grid started out as. You saw the front, I'd say, 10 cars form into a line. Charles got the jump. Max jumped in second. Carlos was in third, battling with Perez early on. Then you had the Mercedes. Yeah, but Hamilton got ahead of Perez in the second corner. He did, but it really quickly came undone. Yeah, a few Uh, laps later, which can we call Crofty out again? While the pass was happening, he says, Hamilton has DRS and Perez gets passed. Little did he realize Perez was the one with DRS. Like, seriously, mate. (laughs) I like to hate on Crofty, I do, but I think this year I'm more concerned that maybe there's something going wrong with him because his brain has kind of turned to a lovely pool of mush when it comes to his commentary. The only time he really seemed to pipe up was when the Red Bulls had engine issues and he genuinely came to life. I mean, of course he was his normal excited self off the line. Down the back of the grid, something interesting happened though, and it's something we haven't seen in a number of years, and it did cause a massive gap in in the running order. However, we got to see the last five or six cars, possibly more, I'd say eight cars form a battle group and go around the first four or five bends all in a massive pack. 
And we haven't seen that in years. No. Which clearly means that the premise of F1 designing these cars to be more raceable, yes, a little bit slower, but more raceable has clearly paid off. It definitely has. Even though it caused that bottom running group of 10 cars to fall five or six seconds behind on the first lap, it was awesome to see all those cars next to each other. The only thing that really kind of happened in that battle pack was we saw Ocon spin Mick Schumacher. There's two points I want to make on that. One, it was the only time the stewards got involved this race, apart from one track limits violation. They handed out a five-second time penalty for causing a collision. Normally, that's a race incident, isn't it? I would believe it's a racing incident. However, after last year's diabolical sort of running of the rules, I think it's good they took a hard stance. I'm not opposed to it. I did feel a little bit bad for Ocon, but in the end, it didn't have a major effect on either of their races. No. Oh, oh I think in the post-interviews, there was the Schumacher said that the co- uh, the collision did some damage and he felt it for the rest of the race. And maybe if he wasn't, um, if that didn't happen, he could have been higher up and more near where Magnussen was... Okay, um, you stole him. my second point. <laughs> I was literally going to bring that up. By the way, welcome to race. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, guys. This is race. He's finally made it. We just got so excited. We kept going with what we were doing, but he's managed to sneak in the door and sneakily yeah. get set up. So you're here. My second point on that Haas incident with Ocon is I want to talk about how well Haas has done. Last year, if anything touched that car, or even if nothing touched that car, it would spin around and crash no matter what, mainly due to the one driver at hand. We can all agree on that. However, that car did a 180 and it stabilized 360. it. 360. A 360. Yeah. It did a 360. I'm not good at maths either. Yeah. Schumacher could get into Fast and Furious if this F1 doesn't work out. I tell you what, it was pretty, <laughs> It was a six gear. Yeah. It was a six gear. It was a great recovery, but that speaks to the strength of the Haas car this year. They have built a stable racing platform that is allowing these drivers to get their elbows out, get hit, and keep doing well. Well, look at Magnussen. He was competing with top teams. The whole race. He was in the top 10 from start to finish. He never dropped out of it. And they didn't speak about it enough. They really didn't. They really they, they didn't were happy about it. it. They t- When they talked about it, you could hear the genuine excitement in their voices, and I appreciated that. But they didn't speak about it enough. They just cut to him every now and then. It's like, oh, there's Magnussen. How lovely is it to see a Haas in the top 10? Well done, Gunther. Well done, Haas. It is so nice to see you back doing well. You deserve every bit of praise you've gotten over that race because you guys well deserved it. It was awesome. And then that was kind of it at the start of the race. Then it kind of settled in. The first couple of laps were interesting. We saw Hamilton come in early. He was the first pit stop of the year, and I thought that was quite funny because he's always notorious for complaining about tyres, and he's the first one to get new tyres. He put some new boots on, and it didn't do much. No, he spun a little bit coming out. He got a little sideways. It looked really struggling. Mercedes isn't where they want to be. However, the reason they're such a good team is because they knew that car wasn't where they wanted it. They set it up to to finish fifth or sixth, I feel. Yeah. That car was made, designed, or like they're set up. I wouldn't say made, designed. It was designed to come first. But I think they realized that we are not where we need to be compared to Ferrari and Red Bull. So let's make sure this car is set up to give our drivers the best opportunity in the pack to be there if something goes wrong. And it did. Yeah, while they're not that dominant force, this isn't a misstep for Mercedes. No, this is only given me more confidence in what they can do. What was your take on Mercedes this race, Reese? Um, yeah, they didn't have the pace. Um, I don't know how far we've gone into the race, but 
just even at the end, they couldn't catch a broken Red Bull. I mean, it didn't look like if Perez didn't have the malfunction that it, Hamilton wouldn't have been able to catch him, I don't think. I it would have been a struggle for Hamilton to pass. I think he would have got it in the end because that, that Red Bull was quite broken. It was starting to slow. But that's well, yeah, but if, if that car had been normal, there was no way Hamilton's getting past him. No, and credit to the Mercedes brain trust who was aware of that and really set their car up to give them those opportunities. Which brings me to Red Bull. I want to talk about Red Bull's race because last year was the tale of Max v. Lewis and Red Bull v. Mercedes. Mercedes has an underdeveloped car, but they have a very, very strong leadership group that knows where they are. I'm more concerned about Red Bull from this race than anything else. Well, it clearly shows after the issues with the fuel pump at the end. Yeah, well, we can speak about it. Three of the four Red Bull powertrain cars did not finish this race. No. One of them was in a spectacular, fiery fashion. We saw Pierre Gasly jump out of a flaming car. We then saw one marshal come over and completely miss with the fire extinguisher and then spray the side of it. Closely followed up by another marshal who came in and fired straight into the cabin while the car was still burning. Good job by them. They are volunteers. It's incredibly hot and they don't have safety gear. However, it wasn't a good look to see them kind of miss the flames where they were coming out the back end. They might need to go to Specsavers. <laughs> Marshals, it's got to be a fun job, right? Sure, it's not a job, it's a volunteer position. That has to be so much fun. But certain countries get marshals better than other countries. I really like the Italian marshals. The Italian marshals are the best in the world because they only care about one thing, and that's whatever they're doing currently (laughs) that's not related to the sport because we saw in the last couple of years them have an argument about whether they move their picnic table with all their snacks and wine on it to push the car off the track or, and the decision they landed on, push it a kilometre down the straight into a pit. Then we also saw them get into a near fist fight and a swinging car when they were trying to lift one out of the sand. But that's Italian marshals. We'll be there soon, so I'm sure we'll get some more antics from them. Well done, the marshals. That safety car was the next big thing in the race. Actually, you're completely missing Leclerc v Verstappen, dude. Lap 17 to 19 were the most critical laps of the race, and I really want to get into that. We can, because... From my viewing, I didn't notice anything important there. So what did you see? Because you look at this sport very differently to me. Look, technically, if I'm Max in a calm state, lap 17, I make the lunge at turn one, I get overtaken at turn four. Clearly, the DRS train and taking the slipstream up to turn four is where you make the pass. You don't make the pass at turn one. You stop making the pass at turn one. Max continued to make the pass at turn one, and it frustrated me. I'm like, Max, dude, just be patient. Two more corners and then go for it. And in the post-interview, you hear Leclerc actually state that he knew that he could give Max turn one and then he would be able to get him in turn four. Part of the reason I like Max so much, and I've always said this, is that he is a hothead, but it's also the number one reason why things go wrong. So I think this is where his race critically went wrong. He inadvertently killed his race on lap 19 when he locked up going into turn one because Charles just pulled away from him from that point. Max didn't have the speed and clearly the car was starting to break. Now, it didn't start to break at that point, but you, on lap one, he made a comment saying the engine braking isn't working. And clearly throughout the race, there was an issue with that engine. It didn't show until right at the end. However, I feel like lap 19 was the critical error that cost Max the race. Because when I kind of watched this race, I'm, I remember in our, in our pre-show discussion that you and I took a different stance on Max's attitude throughout this race. Because my stance was Red Bull knew something was wrong with this car. Max is a world champion. That is his car. He's been involved in its design and its DNA from day one. He came on the radio lap one and said, something doesn't feel right. 
and then he kind of got stuck in and raced out towards near the end of the race where he came back on and he said, something's going on in my car. And the radio mechanics and his engineer said, no, mate, it's all normal. At which point he kind of cracked it and gave them a serve on air saying, no, something is wrong with my car. You're telling me to do all this weird stuff like slow outlaps from his pit stops. I can feel something wrong. I'm okay with him being angry. He's a world champion. I truly believe Red Bull was hiding the fact that this car wasn't going to make it the whole time. I don't know why they hid that from him, but I definitely think that plays into why that car ended up blowing up. Because if he was informed at the start that, mate, something is up with this car, we don't know if it can make it the whole race. If you drive it like this and just hold second, we're going to have a great season. But the result was Red Bull has left the Constructors' Championship in last place, equal last with a bunch of other teams who didn't score where all their rivals and even cars that shouldn't even be considered their rivals have outperformed them. Rebel really got it wrong. I, I think Max's attitude throughout the race is a clear example of why Max needs to calm down sometimes. He's a world champion now. Like I know we, we give up we give Lewis a spray because he's always talking on the radio. However, he does he's not swearing, he's not saying I he's not telling his engineer I'm not gonna listen to you anymore. But Max was. I am definitely willing to concede that he had a bad attitude. He had a horrible attitude that whole race and he was acting more entitled than he truly was. If the team should have definitely said Max there's a problem, you need to get this home. You should not be going for the win. Hopefully this is a learning opportunity for their team as a whole when they can look at Ferrari who put everything together right and succeeded and look at Mercedes who didn't put anything together right and still succeeded. So I hope they really learn from this because this championship fight is very close and there are more people who are capable of winning this championship than ever before. I always like to say it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. This is just one little hurdle for Red Bull to get over. They'll be there at the end in Abu Dhabi. I'm no no guarantees that they'll be well affront. It might be similar to last year. It might only be one point, but they will be there. They need to know that, and they need to not make this mistake again. They need to know, Max, this car might not make it. Just get it home. That needs to be communicated to him a lot more if that's the issue going forward. And I agree. The, the few times, the, I think, the as you were saying, like they didn't want to give the fact that they might not finish the race over the radio because that's big information. And they were trying to say, go easy, go easy. But he was—he wanted to win. He saw red. He saw red. And if he wasn't in first place, he was in last place for him. I just feel like if he, if he just cooled it down and just like listen to what listen was to going, JP for once instead of just like insulting him over the radio. Yeah, saying saying that I'm not going to listen to you again is is very red hearted and a little disrespectful when they kind of know what's going on. And it's but it's just that whole play in the radios where everyone can hear everyone everyone's listening to every channel so it is an interesting point my kind of take on that though is he is an incredible driver the way and look this is just pure opinion but the way i could have could would have looked at this situation is he's an incredible driver the teams and the other drivers will figure out something is wrong with this car regardless of if we tell them or not so let's tell max and make it very clear mate Yes, it sends a warning signal to every other team, but I would say that you need to have enough faith in his ability to defend like a madman and make that car wide and use him and Checo to essentially form a rolling barricade to preserve that. Yes, it would let everybody know, but I'm just saying, and I've got no evidence for this, but maybe if you'd done that, you would have gone home with something. Yeah, You potentially could have gone home with third and fourth rather than zero. 
exactly. But then Perez didn't even finish. So you're thinking that maybe like Perez was driving sensible the whole time, it seemed. You know what? That is a good point. So because Fantastic Warwick, point. That is a yeah. very good point. So I've been clearly, because I am very Max biased, and it, it does wound me a little bit to see his behavior like this, and especially a performance like this for the whole team. I'm a diehard Red Bull fan. Heartbroken. Heartbroken. But it is a good point. Perez... And Yuki and... Oh, Yuki made it, but uh, Gasly... Gasly didn't, but those three drivers weren't doing anything out of... They were following their strategy. They were doing their pit stops when required. So maybe it was just inevitable. Maybe the best option was for him to send it and just pray. Let's talk about Mercedes. Andy, you brought up something very interesting, not with the factory team, but with the bottom end of the field. What did you want to say about this? The bottom six cars were Mercedes power units and customer cars. That says a lot. That says a lot about that Mercedes unit this year. Because the bottom of the grid was Williams, Aston Martin, and McLaren. McLaren. Not in that order. Not in that order, but those were the three teams that took up the bottom six places, yeah? Yes. They're all powered by Mercedes. What does that say to you, Reese, about the strength of Mercedes this year? So I have a conspiracy theory. I like this. <laughs> put, put your conspiracy put hat my on. Ca- put my hat on. And the way the Mercedes was driving last year, it feels like they have more knowledge of the power unit than their competitors. So if they reckon they can run the power unit 20% more, harder, and get maybe 10% wear out of it, in the long run, that's going to build up and they just have to take the power unit and then get up the field so they kind of know this rather than like reliability over the two engines over the season so maybe the other guys don't know that <laughs> in okay. a sense but so you're saying that mercedes essentially were like look we need to run it not full crack and we'll pick up a bunch of points let's not tell the customers the customers were like, let's run this at full crack and it just wasn't quite there yeah well the full crack to them is on paper but full crack for mercedes is they've always got something else in their pocket it's just a conspiracy theory i had last year and then them going so well compared to the other guys that's the only correlation between the six bottom teams and it's it's too strong not to deny that it's power unit has so much to say about it okay what's your take on this andy we haven't mentioned it yet but did you two notice that there's a new fuel for this year Oh, the E10. The E10. We missed that completely when we were talking about our aero and chassis design, but I I think we need to talk about E10. It's a massive change in the sport. Can you run us through it, though? So E10, it's it's like the road fuel car. You got 10% ethanol in it. It's a way to bring the the sport into a carbon zero. What you're saying is my Corolla is closer to being an F1 car than it ever (laughs) has been before. Basically, yeah. I love that. I just need to bang (laughs) some wings on it, and I'm set. Awesome. However... I feel like because they've been running, obviously, 98 for God knows how long, it's going to be a new adjustment moving into this E10 world. It's less power, less dominant. And you've seen that with the Red Bulls because they had a fuel issue with their powertrain. The Mercedes seem to be slower with the E10. They haven't quite got it right. And unfortunately, their customers are going to suffer as well. With E10, it has up to 10% ethanol in it. Does that is that a dirtier type of fuel? Is that the issue we're seeing? Or is it just a different type of fuel that they're not used to engineering around? I believe it's a different type of fuel yeah. altogether. I believe it, it doesn't burn as hot as the 98. It can burn off water as well. So that could do something inside of it as well. Okay, so this fuel is definitely a larger beast than we originally thought it was going to be for this yeah. sport. And if you think about it, we've been so focused on the chassis and our aero updates. This has just sort of slipped under the cracks for us. And potentially, maybe the teams weren't taking it as seriously as, as they should have been because E10 is such a... Because it burns lower, it doesn't produce as much power. Like, it's going to cause issues. It's clearly affected Mercedes the most out of all the constructors. It didn't seem to have any effect on Ferrari, though, across the grid. 
I think Ferrari have it right with their engine and look at their look at their engines. Their engine supplied as well to Haas and Alpha. We were giving Alpha a lot of shit in the early before the races and here they are, double points. Haas, they got one car in the points and another car that probably should have scored points as well. You are very, very correct. Ferrari seem to have put it all together. I really like seeing that from them. We've said previously that they've kind of flown under the radar and I clearly think that's a good thing. All round. They're looking quick. They got, they got a 1-2. It's the first time since Singapore. Which Crofty also got wrong. He said it was Seb and Kimmy when it was Seb and, <laughs> and Charles. Charles. It was Seb and Charles. And also, that was back when they might have been playing silly buggers. Not that we will ever officially know. But it's pretty evident that back then, they were in breach of some of the regulations. This time, though, and we don't know for sure, but let's assume, benefit of the doubt, yeah? Yeah. They're within the regulations this year. So their, their package looks great. It's clearly bought up Haas and Alfa Romeo. We were really, really nervous about Alfa Romeo. But it was nice to see them scoring, and it was nice to see Valtteri in between the two Mercs. Out-qualifying George. Out-qualified George, specifically because George has fired some shots in the past by saying Mercedes don't qualify eight. No. George Russell does. (laughs) (laughs) How bad would you feel if you're George Russell? You've just gone to a team that's been so dominant for so many years and now they're scrapping it out for fifth and sixth. It can't be the best feeling to wake up to in the world, but for where I'm sitting, show me more. I'll happily watch that all year. One, we get to see Lewis Hamilton competing elbow to elbow again, and he is really good at that. Two, it's lovely to see a giant fall. And I'm not saying they've fallen completely into the dumps, but... Traditionally, at this point in every season, they'd be saying, oh, we're not there, we're not there, and they win above bloody 10 seconds. This time, they They weren't there. They weren't there. They really struggled. We didn't see an adjustment in the side pods from your conspiracy theory last week. There wasn't (laughs) secret option X. They kind of stuck with this, which makes me want to talk about how these cars are upgraded because, Andy, you brought up an interesting point by saying earlier that what we've seen is probably what we're going to see for the next few weeks. So can you run everybody through your thought process on that? Well, the next two races are Saudi Arabia and Australia, both flyaways. Saudi Arabia is next week. Cars are basically just jumping on trucks and going from Bahrain to Saudi Arabia. Probably no time to get any upgrades sent to Saudi, but they're probably working really hard in their factories to get these these adjustments, these upgrades ready for the first European race because that's really when they get the cars back to the shop. They can have a really good deconstruct of it and they can really find where the issues are. So I feel like, I think it's Imola is the first European race. I feel like there we might start to see upgrades or hear about teams bringing upgrades over the next few races and that's where we'll see teams like McLaren, teams like Williams. Sorry, I had to think of the team then. Ha ha, it's not just me. Smart ass. Those teams towards the back of the grid this time, that's when they'll finally get a chance to actually upgrade their car and maybe move closer towards that front-running pack. It'll also be a chance for Red Bull to get the engines back and actually have a, de- a real good look at them. Because right now, I feel like it's just going to be patch job after patch job to get them to the end of the race. It is kind of a necessary evil of this being a global sport that it its home and heartland is in Europe. And that's where most of the work gets done. And that on these flyaways, which are very, very exciting, and they bring about these incredible locales and very exciting races, that when you're all stuck away from your main base, you're kind of stuck with what you're left with for that period of time. So like, I don't see anything new coming to Saudi Arabia, but maybe they, they're already working on something to get it here to Australia, which I think is two weeks away. So like, they've got a little gap, but it's not much. 
we shall see. I I hope that a few of the teams right at the back manage to do some adjustments or some little fiddles that bring them a little bit further up because we've only really spoken about the general flow of the back of the grid, but we kind of need to address the elephant in the room. I think it's the topic we don't want to talk about, but it's McLaren. Their braking issues and their aero issues. They were nowhere. So, Reese, because I feel like I'll burst into tears doing this, do you <laughs> want to talk a little bit about McLaren at the start? What did you see from them this race? I just saw them fall off more and more. And then as they, I think they realized that after a while they weren't getting points. And then um, he's, you're here in the post interview with um, Big Rick, Big Dick Danny Rick, that he yeah. he knew that. And then so he just put on every tie he could, had a go. And it was the first time he's raced a full length race in because they weren't in it for testing. So it was this, they, they knew their position. I'm not sure how they're going to get above that. Um, it was sad to see. It was. I feel like McLaren just took this as an opportunity to have an extended test, testing session. They weren't going to get points. They were nowhere near the points all weekend. They were always towards the back of the grid. They had a dog of a car. And it was set, like Daniel said, he ha- he was having understeer issues. He was just having issues around the board. He also missed last week testing, so he missed vital running time on that and vital running time on practice day with a water leak. Lando, he was just doing his best he could. They were trying to fix the car. He put the car Q2, but it wasn't getting any further than that. A very sad weekend to be a McLaren fan, but I like both your guys' perspective on that because I I really like your boys' perspective on that essentially running a glorified test or a, a, a long-form practice because I took it as a very, very negative sign. But I'm going to go with what you boys said because you're right. McLaren is kind of this podcast team based on Big Dick and we have to support them. So I'm going to put my, my thought processes in line with yours and say hopefully this was just a one-off and we, we get to see some improvement from them. Before I forget... You want to talk about Williams? We now? have to talk about Williams. <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about Williams. First of all, Riso, I believe I owe you an apology <laughs> because last week you said, I don't think Williams is going to do very well. I think it's going to be the same as the last few years. And I said, bold take. And what I meant was that I can't believe you've just said that. You proved me wrong. You mean Williams proved you wrong. They also proved me wrong, but I like him more. Thank you. What are your guys' take on Williams' race this week? It was a solid race. I think they were struggling because of the Mercedes power unit. Albon did well to put it into P11 for qualifying, and he just sort of hung around there like a wet fart sort of thing. It was a bit stinky. He was there, but he stayed, and he finished like P13, which is a really good result for that team. It's a new team. He's getting up there. He's, He's fighting. Might not be fighting with the teams he wants to fight with, but he's still fighting. Latifi, on the other hand, or last Tifi, as I've seen him be called, <laughs> qualifies last and barely beats Nico Hulkenberg. I mean, he had a dog of a race, didn't he? Because we were we we praised Latifi quite a bit in the last few weeks, saying, look, we really feel like he's going to put it together. He's been in the sport for a few years. Williams is looking kind of good. And then he just shoved it right up our ass, didn't he? I, I tell you what, people, athletes clearly love to prove us wrong specifically. Yep. I know they all listen to this. Latifi's <laughs> <laughs> well, just sitting there. He's like, man, I'm just going to come last and piss these guys off. A bit of a no-showing. So he beat Hulkenberg, right? Hulkenberg came I think he last. was the only one he beat. Risa, did you have anything to add on Williams before we move on? Not really. That was just uh, more of a hunch. Like It's more my misunderstanding of a racing team in, rather than a car manufacturer team. And I just feel like there's more philosophy in like an Alfa Romeo car. They know how to make good cars. 
and hopefully when they come to track, if you get the philosophy wrong in a sense because you're having a stab, then maybe it's not going to work and then you come last. So you're going down the path of Williams might have actually taken this car in the wrong direction, whereas we thought that about Alpha. Yeah, in a way, yeah. In a way. I don't see... I didn't see much of Williams in this race. Clearly, I don't see much of Williams in my life whatsoever. <laughs> I don't have a huge amount to add. I'm not super concerned. I really like both drivers. I really like the team setup they've got. My I, just, t- I was just going to say, I just feel like the track wasn't there. It just wasn't a track for that car. And the tracks do play a major component in how these cars perform. And I want to get into that a little bit if you guys don't mind. Yeah, yeah let's go for it. These cars are so sensitive. This is the pinnacle of motorsport engineering. They are trying new technology. It's the first time we've seen ground effect in years. The part that never gets taken into account with these tracks is the physical location of where they are. This is a dry, hot desert at low sea level. Saudi Arabia is a dry, hot desert at low sea level. Melbourne is a wet, humid place at low sea level. I'm starting to think that the altitude and how it affects these cars may be pushing some teams lower that we see because traditionally, McLaren doesn't do well in the desert. No. McLaren does do well on the side of a mountain, a la Austria, Mexico, which is very high, and I want to say Spa's quite high up as well, comparatively. I mean, I don't do geography, mate. I couldn't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) The locations do have an effect on these cars. It is the first race of the year. I don't think we can correctly write anybody off until we've seen these cars perform in different locations under different conditions. I think by Monaco, we should have a clearer understanding of where teams are in the in the field. Because at that point, I think it's round six, we've had a multitude of races, different altitudes, different places. We've been in Imola, we've been in Spain. Melbourne, Saudi Arabia, we've been in different places. Just one race in a low-altitude hot desert, we can't really ride a team off. Yeah. So I don't want anybody who's really watched this race to take anything too strong from it. It's a season opener. It always goes crazy. However, Alpine. I said one of their cars was going to blow up. And it was the Alpha Tauri that blew up. I got the first letter correct. That's about it. A car. It blew up in qualifying. Or one of the free practices, didn't it? The side of it fell off. Yeah, (laughs) the side of Ocon's car fell off and caused a red flag. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't a blow up, but I will will take half points because (laughs) it did look like it exploded. It definitely looked explosive when it happened. But let's talk about Alpine in the race. I didn't see anything. I don't know anything. It's like they weren't there, even though they had the brightest car on the track. Reese, do you have anything on Alpine? No, not really. Um... Alonso was saw him a bit, but I think it was just this guy broadcasting, just not looking at him and us not realizing what's it's going on. It's almost like they needed Nico Rosberg and Jensen Button to slap Crofty around this race and be like, speak about this person. Yeah. Speak about this person. Stop speaking about the same person for the last 10 laps. Yeah, there's more than one competitor in this sport, even though we don't have anything to say about this team really. Look, Ocon and Fernando both look fine. There's no L plan in the sense of they've come up with something special, but they haven't gone backwards like their rivals because both Aston and McLaren clearly slipped backwards during this race. They were just kind of there. Alpine sort of, well, Alonso in particular, he struggled with tyre deg. He was the second person to pit. He was complaining a lot about his tyres. It was almost like he was Sir Lewis for once. (laughs) 
Let's or talk maps. about tyres because there's been some significant changes with tyres this year. And the first big change that has happened is the tyre blankets have been turned down to half. They were traditionally set at 100 degrees. I believe now they're running at 50 degrees. I couldn't tell you. I know they've definitely changed it. And that saw some different things. But Andy, you're our resident tyre expert. So do you want to run us through kind of what's going on with these tyres and why we saw so many lockups? I understand lockups being that you push your foot to the pedal and you brake. And if you've got too much t- heat in the brake duct, you're going to grip onto the, the wheel, lock it up. It's going to stop. You're going to cause a flat spot, which basically makes the tire look like a 50-cent piece in our country. And the more you flat spot on that exact tire, you're going to hit the same spot every time and create a vibration in that wheel, which is then going to make the car close to undrivable. So and in this race, we've seen Lewis come out of the pits and skid immediately. We saw Max take a late plunge into Leclerc and lock his tyre majorly. Magnussen locked up like three or four times. At the start of the race, yes. Uh, Alonso also locked up on his mediums. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> two sex, Ted. Um, <laughs> by the way, only one this whole race. One two sex, Ted. We had a one two sex, Ted. We also had Tommy, our producer, giving us the two or he's giving us a peace sign. We had two two-second Caroons. Yep. I'm a closet Caroon fan. You're so the only one. I know I might be the only person in the paddock who quite enjoys Karoon Chandok's commentary. The only one I want to hear from is Ted Kravitz. He's fantastic. This, should, this podcast needs to be changed to Formula Ted, and we only talk about Ted's notebook. We might make a Formula Ted t-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> because I would wear that. Ted, don't let the haters get you down, man. You're the most important person on that production crew. You might be the only man who has anything worthwhile to add, so keep up what you do, Teddy. Big fan. Definitely. However, back to tyres, which is what we were talking about. Yeah, back to Williams. <laughs> it just seems with the 18-inch wheels that it's it's a new tyre. It's going to cause a lot of issues for teams. We've seen it in the pit stops. The pit stops were nearly four seconds this week. Because they're wider as well, aren't they? Yeah, oh, maybe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're a bit wider. And I, I feel like the heat wasn't getting into them as, no. well, as quick as they, they were last year. Because it is by nature, a lower profile tire, meaning there is less rubber on the tire itself. So the compounds have changed. Pirelli has done a redesign on their line to make them taller, possibly a little bit fatter. We will definitely check on that. But the lower profile, the cooler blankets, the changing in how the aero works on the car, we've seen tire covers on these things. Now, we don't know exactly why the tire covers are there, but we can assume that they're there to provide structural rigidity and also to fiddle with the airflow off the cars, which was evident as what we mentioned at the start in that battle group. Traditionally, F1 cars have a lot of outwash coming off the side of the vehicles. That's been streamlined to flow under and away from the vehicles in a different pattern this year. And I think that the tyres themselves might be causing some of those brake duct issues that we're seeing in some of the lower teams. Yep. And then everything that we've stated before this is leading to an increase in lockups and then an increase in difficulties around getting the tyres exactly where you want them. Another thing that was mentioned throughout the race too was Crofty was saying, this is the one thing I think he got right the whole race. (laughs) (laughs) He said that F1's moving towards no tyre blankets, which I think is really good because you never see it in any other race category around the world. No, tyre blankets are... So I know in MotoGP, they use tyre blankets before the race, but they're using one tyre the entire race. So I can kind of understand that. But you're right, in every other motorsport you're using cold tyres straight off the rack. One, one point to that. Uh, I know it's off topic, but in the V8s at Darwin a few years back, 
Every other team except the Red Bull racing team had their tyres in the garage. Red Bull had it out the back cooking in the sun. Red so their tyres are good to go from the moment they're on the car. And everyone else is like, why are our tyres slipping? Red Bull is just cruising through the pack. Yeah, just leave them out to bake in the sun. The point I want to make about cars becoming more difficult to drive is an inherently good one. The harder these cars are to drive, hopefully we'll see a reduction in paid drivers being bought into teams just to hold the line. If these cars are more difficult to drive, it will force teams to pick talent because as much as it's nice to get sponsorship money, it is about winning. It's a sport. You have to win. Definitely. Which means bye-bye Lance Stroll. <laughs> Let's talk about Aston Martin. You said last week that you thought Aston Martin and got it very wrong. They definitely have it wrong now. And <laughs> yeah, I think this race is proven. I know we said we can't write everything off in this race, but they were nowhere. No. The only thing we knew about Aston Martin this weekend was Nico Hulkenberg was driving instead of Seb Vettel. <laughs> I have a question for both of you. If Seb was in the car, do you think they would have done any better? No. I don't think so, no. There might have been another spin in the race. That's about it. Poor Seb. <laughs> Poor Seb. One thing I was interesting in the race was, I forgot which driver it was, when one of them was pit-stopping, it was too hot to pit-stop. It was Nico, Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever heard someone be told, you can't come in, your car's too hot. But is that too hot because it will catch on fire or you've finally got the tyres at the temperature you want? No, I, I think it was due to the fact the car, if it had pitted at that point and it had come to a complete stop, the, the sudden stop of airflow might have caused the, caused the engine to seize and make the car undrivable. Would have done a gasly. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah it would have blown the thing up. Aston Martin doesn't look good. They didn't race well. Nico, you get a massive exception because you jumped into that car for practice and qualifying only. You weren't involved in the development of the new vehicles. You've barely touched a car in a couple of years. So coming last is where you should have been based on what they give you, gave you. Stroll, however, though. He did well to get to 12th. I'll give him that. He, he did finish in 12th, but there were also f every car that went out, went out in front of him. So we can give three of those places through pick, through pick up points. Yep. Yeah, you know, he just, a bunch of drivers got moved three places up the grid because Checo and Max were in out in the front or in the front two or four. And Gasly was in the top 10, wasn't he? When yeah, he yeah I think he was like ninth or eighth or something and he passed out. Yeah. So that to me means he came in really 15th. Which is exactly where we thought he would be. Yeah, it just seems like whatever they've kind of done, whatever philosophy they've taken into this car, they're the ones who's got it wrong. Whereas Alfa Romeo... Seems that their struggles in testing, they knew how to fix them and they did fix them. That Ferrari power unit is clearly incredible because Valtteri Bottas and lovely to see VB do so well in that car. Really. And Joe Guan Yu too. Points on debut. Yeah. Points on debut. Incredible Yuki did drive. That too, though. Yuki did do that as well. So let's not give him too much praise. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that is fair. That is fair. I am very excited for him based on essentially how worried I was last week. He's, he's very calm. In all the speeches, it seems like he's he is calm. He's he's ready to drive, and I was pretty happy. Like, yeah, happy to see him see points. And um, maybe it is a credit to the Chinese athletes around the world. Every time you see one of them in media appearances, they do a very good job. So I don't know if China has like a very strong athletic program, but their their world class athletes do seem to do a pretty good job in front of the cameras. Yeah. Great. They're very well trained there. <laughs> ah, yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> makes sense why they're all really, really good in front of the cameras. I'm very happy with how Joe did. 
I think it was. I I made a point to you when me and you were watching the race when Mick and Joe were battling for twelfth and thirteenth. I said that's essentially tenth because we'd both watched the race we before, but we watched it again before this just to sort of come up with a few more points just to make sure we were on the same page. Yeah, and, yeah. Said, and it felt really good to say that that Mick was battling for points with Joe because those were two cars that last year weren't going to ever battle for points, but here they are battling for t- essentially tenth with what happened later on. And it was nice to see. And it wasn't, it was hard racing. It was fun racing. There was no, you know, there wasn't like trying to take each other out. It was just a genuine good race to watch. I quite enjoyed most of the racing. And it, I I quite enjoyed most of the racing. It was a lot of wheel-to-wheel action. That battle between um, Verstappen and Leclerc was, and that really got me excited to what see this year. And other batters like Joe and Schumacher. Schumacher, yeah. Just it's it's what I wanted to see from these new regulations. Yeah, F one has definitely delivered on their promise of bringing back wheel to wheel, really hardcore racing this year. I wonder how Toto's going to deal with motor racing for once. <laughs> I think Toto can deal with consistent and fair motor racing very, very well. I've never <laughs> seen a bigger smile on someone's face than when he was at the the podium, just smiling that Red Bull didn't finish. Yeah, look, <laughs> it must have tasted pretty sweet for him. I'm not going to lie. Like, he definitely took some enjoyment from it. We've spoken about every team. I think that brings us to the end of our race review discussion. I think that's covered all the points we wanted to. I wanted to end with something fun this week. I have in front of me a list of all the predictions, or not all the predictions, just the top five that we all said last week. And I want to go through all of them with each of you and just see how they added up. And I'm going to start this week with you, Reese. So, Reese, your top five was... Max, Lewis, a Ferrari, a McLaren, and then possibly George. Oh, I think it was one of their teammates, as in, like, it was a very vague. I can't really take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you got none of them, really. No, none, none. No. That's a zero the, for you. The only thing I got right was Williams coming last, in a way. <laughs> you don't, unfortunately, you don't get any points for that. So this is the Formula Bums Prediction World Championship. So, Riso, you scored a perfect McLaren this round with a double O. Well done, son. I'll get there. Andy, you said number one, Charles. Got that. That's a point. Number two, Max. Well, if he didn't break down, I had it. Yep. Number three, Danny. Look, I have my heart in that. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, Checo. If he didn't break down, I had that. (laughs) And number five, Carlos. Look, he's in the top five. (laughs) I'll give you two points. So, Andy, you come in on two points. Now it's my turn. (laughs) And I can't wait for this In number one I had Charles Leclerc In number two I had Carlos Sainz In number three I had a McLaren So I don't get a point for that In number four I had Albon And in number five I had Pierre Gasly Do I lose a point For saying that Max and Lewis Would take each other out? Nah I don't want to make you lose a point At least we're going Into next round tied We're going into next round tied I think what that tells All of us about our predictions Is that this is a season To get excited about we genuinely don't really know what happened. The only reason I got that Ferrari one too is because I said Max and Lewis were going to crash into each other. I didn't genuinely think it was going to happen. I thought they'd be there to pick up the scraps and they weren't. What a year to watch Formula One, boys. What a year to start a podcast on Formula One. <laughs> we couldn't have picked a better time. We couldn't have picked a better time. Before we wrap up, do you guys have anything else you'd like to add? Bring on Saudi. Bring on Saudi? Yeah, I'm really excited for Saudi. Excellent. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. That brings us to the end of our Bahrain GP review. 
I know we probably didn't cover everything that happened in depth, but we were just super excited to talk about what we saw. We don't normally ask for much, but it would mean the world to all of us here at Formula Bums and our larger group of 167 Studios if you could leave us a like or a review or a follow. And if you don't like us and you know someone who might like us, please send it that way. Or if you don't like us and you know someone who will not like us more, send us to them as a joke. (laughs) I think they'll really appreciate it. And it goes to our comedy sense of our proclivities when it comes to stirring people up. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we will see you next week for our Saudi Arabia GP race preview. You mean later this week? Yes, later this week. You forgot it was a doubleheader, didn't you? It's a doubleheader. I'm excited. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See ya.